Hi there, and welcome to another edition of the Odlum Brown Van Open podcast. The Odlum Brown Van Open is an ATP Challenger Tour, a World Tennis Tour, and a Tennis Canada event here at the Hollyburn Country Club. My name is Brian Weeb, the media manager for the tournament. This is the final edition of the podcast as everything did wrap up here at Hollyburn today with two championship trophies awarded in women's singles and in men's singles. And what a day of tennis it was as the matches were right down to the wire. They were exciting. And even though the women's match did end in two sets, it was still a really exciting match between Heather Watson and Sarah Soribes Tormo of Spain. Just an outstanding match. That's where our player interviews start. Uh, before we get to the player interviews, I should mention, though, that I've got my media assistants here, Raheem Karmali and Mantar Bandel, doing interviews courtside all week long for you to listen to. It's just been fantastic work done by Mantar and Raheem. Uh, and our feature interview here today to wrap up the tournament is with the tournament director, Rick DeVos. So make sure that you stay tuned for that as well. Okay, let's get to the player interviews. It was an outstanding match between Great Britain's Heather Watson and Sarah Soribes Tormo of Spain, like I said, 7-5-6-4. In that match, Heather actually erased a 5-1 deficit in the first set to come back and win. She was the finalist here, lost to Masaki Doi of Japan last year, and then comes back this year to win the tournament. So let's get to Heather Watson, who we heard on the podcast earlier this week. Just a, a delight to speak to. And she caught up with Raheem Karmali, one of my media assistants here at the Odlum Brown Van Open. So let's go to Raheem and Heather right after her title win here on Center Court. All right, Heather, well, congratulations to the 2019 Odlum Brown Van Open champion. What are the feelings like right now? Oh, I feel great. It was such a battle out there today. There was only two sets, but it was by far like one of the most physical matches I've played because of how Sarah plays. She's such a fighter. She makes so many balls back. She's very smart and tricky with her slicing drop shots and coming to the net. Um, she had a great start to the match and was just playing too good. And I was 5-1 down, set points down. But I just carried on fighting and really happy to come through that because walking through the club every day you see all the winners on the wall and I just missed out last year and it's been a big motivation of mine to get my picture on the wall so I'm very happy about that. Well take us back to that first set there there was some frustration in your game we saw you throw your racket get a little frustrated how did what was the feeling like uh, in that moment and how did you overcome it? I think that's pretty standard for me I'm quite an emotional player I whether I'm winning or losing it's put there's just a lot of emotion um and I think I just kept my cool and calm very well, even when things weren't going my way, and I just had my fighting spirit throughout. Well, the pivotal moment in the match was definitely you coming back and winning those games in the first set. Consecutive games, I believe it was five in a row to take the set. So how, how were you able to find that next gear um, during that moment? Um... I honestly just played point by point and I think at the beginning she was pretty flawless and then you know when it got tight there I feel like I stepped up a bit and she might have felt a bit nervous closing out that first set um, but it happens there was ups and downs for both of us throughout that whole match and it was just you know hardly anything in it by the end. She, she did raise her game as well she was right there with you uh, was there a feeling of in invincibility in your game? At one point, you know, when I came back and won the first and then the first few games of the second, I felt really in control, but I just couldn't get that extra gap in the second set and, you know, get the double break. Uh, but it's credit to her for, for, you know, making me play those extra balls. Well, since you mentioned her as well, uh, she's obviously a bit younger uh, than yourself. She's 
Um, not had as many years or as many tough losses. It looked like this one was pretty tough on her. Would you have any advice for, for players who have to fight through that? I mean, she's a pretty experienced player. She's been on the tour a while and she's highly ranked. She knows what she's doing. Um, so, yeah, I think if she just continues doing what she's doing, working hard, she's winning a lot of matches. Obviously, tennis is such a grind. It's so hard to get good at. so hard to get to this level, the hours and hours of dedication that you have to put in to get to this level. After a win like this, is there a sense of vindication with uh, what you've been able to accomplish so far? Um, yeah, you know, every win is so special. Uh, like I said, this is one of my favorite weeks of the year and I stay with the Mollers, so I'm just like really happy that I could do it for them as well. And I've just started working with my new coach, Rob, and uh, this was our first title together, so hopefully it's the first of many. All right, Heather, well, congratulations. You are the 2019 champion after going to the after going to the final last year. As you said, there was some unfinished business that you felt that you had uh, this year. How much did that play a part in this win? Um, yeah, I mean, as I've said, I love it here in Vancouver. Won a lot of matches here last year, but just wasn't able to get over the final hurdle. So coming into this week, you know, I just wanted to get past my first few rounds. I was a bit nervy. And then towards the end of the tournament, I'm glad I did one better this year. Congratulations, Heather. Thank you. Now in the men's final match, by the way, huge congratulations to Heather Watson on winning the 2019 Audlem Brown Van Open. Now, in the men's final, it was the top seed, Ricardus Barankas of Lithuania. He was taking on Jason Jung from Chinese Taipei, and this one went to a third set. It looked like Ricardus was going to walk away with this match as he took the first set 6-3 in 27 minutes, but Jason stormed back, took the second set uh, 7-5, and then it was Ricardus taking the third set 6-4. Now, we've got two interviews here, here for you. One is with the runner-up, Jason. We'll get to him in just a sec, Jason Jung. But let's get to the men's singles champion here at the Odlum Brown Van Open, Ricardus Barankas with Mantar Bandel, courtside here at the Odlum Brown Van Open 2019 at the Hollyburn Country Club. Ricardus, congratulations on winning the men's singles here at the Odlum Brown Van Open. How proud are you feeling right now? I feel very good. Of course, win is a win, and uh, it was a great tournament. It is a great tournament, and uh, it's a pleasure to be a winner of it. It's, uh, yeah. It's, it's a great feeling at the moment. And besides winning, because that will probably be your response to my next question, but uh, again, besides winning, what, what's kind of your, your most fondest memory, your, your, the memory that you'll take with you the most after, after being here? Well, this tournament is unique because uh, a lot of players get housing from the families and, uh, you know, it's a really nice place and it's enjoyable. So what makes it different from most of the other tournaments that as soon as you finish your job, work, on site, you can go and relax home, you know, where very nice people waiting for you and uh, it's kind of different atmosphere here. It's uh, really nice. All tournament long, you had this very workmanlike attitude. You didn't show much, you were very focused, you were very stoic, but today we were starting to hear a little bit of attitude from you. You know, you were celebrating after a point, you know, you were mourning after uh, losing a point. So was that just you knowing that this is coming down to the end, just let it all out here? Of course, exactly, like you say, you know, and uh, this match was uh, not so much controlled as uh, maybe some previous matches from my side, let's say semis or second round. I felt like uh, from the first point I was uh, in control, you know, but uh, today even though first set was controlled, but the second one was uh, so-so, which, uh, yeah, I lost 5-7 if I'm not wrong, yeah, and uh, yeah, I needed to leave everything what I had on court to to become a winner of the match so yeah it, it's it's a really tough match Jason played really well um, 
wish him best of luck and uh, yeah, that's the situation. My final question, I know you want to get going here. It's been a dominant 2019, four wins on the ATP Tour. What's next? Next is US Open. <laughs> awesome, good luck there, appreciate Thank it. You. Good. Thank you. All right, we've heard from Ricardus Barancas, the champion here at the Odlum Brown Van Open. Time now to hear from the runner-up from Chinese Taipei, Jason Jung, former standout at the University of Michigan. Raheem Karmali caught up with him. Uh, disappointing for sure, but still a good week here for the 30-year-old uh, who makes his home now in California, uh, Jason Jung. Let's turn things over to him and Raheem immediately following the match here on center court. All right, Jason, well, a tough end to a great week for you here. Uh, what are the emotions after coming off a performance like that? Uh, it's, it's never easy to lose, uh, first of all, and never easy to lose while being so close. Um, you know, today, physically, I wasn't 100% there, probably from the matches before, and not enough recovery time, but it's been a great week, and uh, can't put my head down, and uh, like to keep going and heading out to U.S. Open, so carry the momentum. Absolutely. So you, so you dropped the first set. Um, in the second set, you were down. You could have easily folded in, threw in the towel at that point, but you didn't. What, what can you say about the fight that you showed to come back, force that third set, and really take Ricardus to the end there? I think all week, though, I mean, I've, I've been fighting, and yeah. sometimes not my best tennis, but, you know, at this level, it's, it's always hard to close out matches sometimes, so you try your best to try and hang in there. I'm going to ask you to reflect a little bit here. You... We're at the age of 24 doing a lot of futures tournaments and you were thinking if you weren't sure if you were going to go, if you're going to stick yeah. with tennis or go into law school or something else yeah. and um, you decided to stick with it. What can you say about how far your game has come since then now in the challenger circuit? Honestly, it's been amazing. I mean, there have been so many times where I've wanted to quit because just because, you know, it's an expensive sport. If you want to make it to the top, you need to hire coaches and physios and trainers. So. It's a it's a big effort and and I've it's been great to to be at this point in my career and I have people that can support me now and um, I'm hoping to to keep going and see how far I can get. Well, Canada's Vasek Pospisil has been making a lot of news lately because he has been uh, fighting for the top 100 players and and getting more of the the share of the profits in, in that as well. Is that something you support and have you um, been aware of what he's doing? Yeah, I mean, I didn't know he was doing that, but, you know, we need more of a voice for, you know, players from 100 to 300. And, uh, I mean, hopefully things will start to change and more prize money will, will go into these challengers and, and help us players to, to get to that uh, top 100 place. You've said in the past that tennis has taught you to take the good and the bad and take that um, all and take it all with the same sort of grain of salt. Um, what can you say about uh, sort of your, your match today and, and how that relates to, to that quote? Um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's we're playing something that's uh, that we love to do. And, you know, we can't obviously we want to be successful at what we do. But, you know, playing a sport for a living is is really I mean, people sometimes you try to put in perspective. I mean, people are struggling to make ends meet and, you know, we're out here hitting hitting the tennis ball I mean it's easy to say but um, sometimes you just try and put it in perspective and um, you know like today for a loss you know you just try and, and look back and it's been a great week well you hit a tennis ball pretty well congratulations on a great tournament all right thank you uh, very happy to be joined here on the Odlum Brown Van Open podcast by the tournament director here for the uh, tournament. It is Rick DeVos. Rick, thanks for taking a 
quick minute here to sit down and chat about uh, this year's tournament. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, up here in the restaurant at Hollyburn Country Club. Um, what a week it's been, really. Uh, let's just overall summary from, from your point of view. Yeah, obviously incredible week. Uh, we've had some top-notch, world-class players that have entered and been been on the courts in the draw, and as a result, obviously uh, fans have come out. So, you know, selling out again this year from Tuesday onwards been been incredible, and uh, yeah, weather's been very cooperative as well. So, you know, we uh, we had. I think it was 32 matches on five courts on Monday, yeah, starting at 10 a.m. and you know finishing right through until 11 around 11 o'clock at night. So, full day of tennis there, and uh, yeah, the crowds have uh, crowds have been great, and they've had a, a lot of tennis options to to view while they've been here. Now, one thing that you were on TV talking about it, and we, we've heard it before in some radio interviews and stuff like that, the fact that you get a men's and women's combined event is pretty rare, especially at this level where you're looking at 100,000 on both sides. Um, logistically, how did everything come together this year? Uh, good. I mean, uh, as you mentioned, it is a unique situation, and, and most tournaments, and actually the facility is the important part, mm-hmm. are just not able to to uh, to cope with the volume, uh, as well as the criteria which is uh, set forth by the governing bodies. From and the it's ACP. changed too, right? Exactly. So yeah. uh, we've been condensed into seven days, which is why we've added that extra court. Um, but yeah, logistically, you know, it, it, it is two separate events. One is run by the ATP. They have their set of rules, their officials, their, you know, how they operate. And uh, then on the women's side, we have the ITF, which is, again, separate rules, separate um, officials, etc. So, you know, managing and then uh, combining into one. Um, but we've been doing it for, you know, whatever, since 2005 when it was the first combined event. Right. Um, so gotten used to it in my third year now. So, uh, you know, every, every year we learn, every year we adapt and uh, take what may have been a challenge last year and fix it and, and kind of improve again. Now, you obviously um, played on the Challenger Tour, played on the ATP Tour, um, and, and likely as a player didn't pay much attention to the ITF on the women's side of things. Coming in and being a tournament director, I would imagine that your knowledge of that has grown exponentially in the last few years. Um, was that a steep learning curve for you? Yeah, the first year was, for sure. You know, um, things that I just kind of took for granted from knowledge and understanding as being a player on the men's side and their rules, um, and just assuming they may or may not have been the same on the on the ITF side for their rules were not. Um, but the, the ITF supervisors here, um, you know, they've, they've been great in helping out where I've had questions. Um, and at the same time, I think they also appreciate... Um, uh, you know, having a former player as a tournament director, understanding scheduling, understanding player requests, understanding not, you know, to give enough rest between matches and then right. thinking forward for the next three days, how both players in the next match need to get the same equivalent rest and, and having fewer and fewer plans, players complain about why they're playing on certain times on certain matches and right. me being able to explain the reasoning behind it because I have that experience. So did the players respect that too? Yes, no, for sure. I mean, as long as there is a reason behind it, which, as I said, I can give, then everyone's understanding. I was like, you know, I'm limited with what I can do on this court. This player's in singles and doubles. They can't play late because of the doubles match. Singles always has to be first. Right. You know, all of those factors come into uh, how you plan and arrange a schedule. So It's a gigantic puzzle, right? (laughs) Yes, and then uh, early on in the week when, you know, as I said, we've got... Uh, a men's main draw of 48 players the women's qualifying was 24 and then the main draw was 32 and then we've got two big doubles draws as well of 16 players I mean 16 teams so uh, a lot of matches and a lot of players doing singles and doubles and uh, you know I got to 
keep this the center court scheduling as well uh, to you know try and maximize our featured players as well as Canadians and the right. other players want to play there so there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes for you on that level is it exciting because it keeps you in the game I mean you don't have that playing at that level aspect anymore yeah so is is this the next best thing yeah you know it's maybe it's, coaching but yeah it's uh, it keeps me in the game of tennis it was such a big part of my life and you know now being full-time in real estate and this kind of being more of a part-time thing right uh, which is full on uh, during uh, during August um, but yeah no I enjoy it and you know it gives me an opportunity to see and meet with players that I you know there was a, a coach here who I played with and um, you know we go way back from my first year playing tournaments you wow. know I, I think I almost earned my first point against him uh, back in 1999 like that's, that's and then years ago Jeez. yeah and for him to come back and I'll be coaching get to see him haven't seen him in nine or ten years and you know, we had Neville Godwin who was coaching as well. He's a former South African, you know, Davis Cup player. Um, and now he's coaching. So and he trained over here in Vancouver when he was younger too. So there's oh. a lot of connections uh, in the tennis community that by me staying involved, uh, that aspect, you know, I, I get to uh, still see these guys. So obviously lots to talk about. I mean, the tireless work of Carlotta Lee as the tournament chair and yourself as tournament director and the whole committee and, and that kind of thing. But who would you say are the unsung heroes of the tournament? <laughs> there's a lot. Um, you know, Carlotta's uh, right-hand lady, Jessica Walker, uh, you know, she puts in a lot of hours. She's our event manager and she's been at work, you know, for probably the last six months working with Carlotta. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, she does a lot of work. And then, you know, this week, there's probably one lady that stands out well and above everybody else, and that's our... Uh, and that's not to take anything away from anybody yeah, else. Yeah, exactly, but. not to take anything <laughs> away, but um, just for this week, um, our transport coordinator, Pam Maliki, she... I can only here. imagine. She leaves her house at 6 a.m. She's here at 7 a.m. Um, I had a quick chat with her. I think she arranged, arranged over 700 individual pickup and drop-offs for players, and that's excluding shuttle runs. Right. I think we have over 125 players housed at various homes across the North Shore. Oh, my gosh. Um, and those, you know, and so she's here from 7 a.m. right till the last matches are done, you know, and we wrap up and leave, but she's the last person to make sure that the last player, official, whatever, leaves. Then she sits down and arranges all of the scheduling for the next day. Wow. So she's getting home at you know one, two, three in the morning, getting right. three hours sleep, back in the car at six to be here at seven. Uh, you know, for for close on seven days straight or eight eight or nine days. So, right. In terms of the unsung heroes that you don't see, like uh, yeah, she's she's been phenomenal this week. What about one of the one of the groups of unsung heroes that we do see is those that ball crew. I yes. mean, those those kids are out there and. The, I mean, it's not the last couple of days have been pretty nice, but in terms of cloud cover and that kind of thing and temperature, but it was smoking hot earlier in the week. Yes. And I, you know, I, I had so many people mention to even to me, like, oh, those kids are out there and some of them don't wear hats. And it's just like, what about the work that they put in? Well, that's the, there's the ball crew, there's the, uh, the volunteers and uh, the people that house the players. But in terms of the, the ball crew, you know, we, we need them. Like without They're without them, right? Yeah. Without them, we can't really host the matches on the courts, or you know, so player. We, we definitely need them, and this year with the added uh, match court that we had, so we went from four match courts to five. Mm -hmm. We needed that increase in volume of, of ball crew, um, and you know, we were we were running a little short, close closer uh, to when the tournament ago, starts, guess, yeah. and you know, a lot of uh, we a lot of emails went out requesting people, and so Monday there was a lot that showed up, and we were very grateful. But in terms of their hours too, you know, matches start at. Um, at around 10 o'clock yeah. and they're here from 915 9, 9.20 onwards uh, to get to their court to go out around 9.45 and they're here until the last match and the last match you know one night I think we finished close to 11 o'clock at night right uh, you know for a uh, 
a nine or 10 year old. Yes, they may or may not work the whole day. Some of them do, some of them work shifts, but uh, we still need them. And so to have to have them uh, all out here, it's, uh, it's, it's needed and appreciated. Uh, you know, we have a little ball crew tent out there and they've got video games and we try and make it as, entertaining, lots, yeah, as yeah. entertaining as possible so that they have fun. Um, and they do, and, and, and you know, what's really unique for me to see is last night we finished a little earlier around 9.15, 9.30, um, but the lights were still on the courts, and the courts were full with all the ball kids. Oh, tennis, awesome. tennis was done for the day, yeah. but the goal, ball kids came out and they, they wanted to play on that center court under the lights, and you know, that's kind of a, a unique experience for them to experience, but it's just great to see that enthusiasm from these kids who often have some sort of interest in tennis, otherwise they wouldn't be here, right. to go out and uh, to just have fun and play on the courts and, and enjoy tennis. Well, and maybe it's like eight, nine, ten years from now, they are playing under those lights at center court as a player, right? Yeah, and Potentially. so really, you know, using that theme, um, going way back when, when I was a ball kid, uh, back in South Africa, um, Johannesburg ended up hosting the World Tour doubles final. Okay. And a Canadian world number one, Grant Connell, right. ended up being out there. So I think I may have ball boyed for Grant Connell way back when in the... What would have been, I guess, the late 80s, early 90s right. when uh, when he was participating. And so, yeah, I was a ball boy there, was able to experience kind of that atmosphere. And, then and now you know him well because... Yeah, now Grant and I kind of share an office at Angel yeah, Plasman, so yeah. in, in the real estate industry. So it just shows, though, that, you know, kids from a young age have exposed to something like that. You never know where or how that might translate into their, into their future. That's really cool about this tournament. And that's actually a great point to wrap things up on uh, as the, the tournament uh, comes to a close here uh, this weekend. Uh, Rick, I... I I have to say your work's tireless as well all week um you do a fantastic job and and really already looking forward to to next year's odd brown men open thanks for doing this thank you appreciate it and uh yeah we appreciate all the, the media coverage we get thanks Massive thanks to Rick DeVos for joining us here on the Odlum Brown Van Open podcast. And really, I have to say, more than anything, thank you for listening. Hundreds of plays over the week here of the podcast on SoundCloud. And do appreciate you tuning in and listening in for everything going on here uh, at Hollyburn Country Club for the 2019 Odlum Brown Van Open. Of course, look for updates around the year uh, on our social channels at Van Open Tennis on Instagram. Same thing on Twitter and also on Facebook. Find us at Odlum Brown Van Open. My name is Brian Weeb, media manager for the 2019 Odlum Brown Van Open. Thank you again so much for listening in and signing off from the restaurant at Hollyburn Country Club. Have a great night.